This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Jeff Learman. Thanks for being on the show, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Why is this important for investors to know just about JVing? Why is this so important? So, and again, of course, we're going to capsulize this and not go through everything all over again. This is just to tee it up. So it all is under the umbrella of doing deals with other people's money. And what I explained in the last, the last time we're together is, although we help investors with syndication, what I always explain to them is that why I believe that joint ventures is the cheapest, easiest, fastest, and safest way to do deals with other people's money. And the reason is because what a joint venture means is that like, if you and I want to do a deal together, and both of us are actively engaged in the management of that deal, And if we're both equally sophisticated in terms of real estate, generally speaking, and if neither one of us is relying on the efforts of the other to make a profit, it really is a collaborative thing. To break it down, it's as simple as, hey, if you and I are buddies and we're driving down the street, say, hey, that looks like an interesting building. You guys want to buy it? And we buy it together and say, sure, let's do that. And you put together an agreement and it is something, again, that we're both going to be involved with. That's not a security because neither one of us is a passive investor. Both of us are going to be active. That's the difference between a joint venture and a syndication. And in general, a joint venture costs a fraction of the legal fees that a syndication would require. And it is a simpler set of documents. And it is, in my opinion, the faster way to do deals because It's having a conversation with an ongoing relationship with one or two or three joint venture partners instead of multiple investors that you would have in a syndication. So that was why I thought that this was an alternative to syndication that your listeners need to know about, need to understand, and at least consider it the next time they need a deal And actually, don't wait until you actually have a deal under contract before you start trying to find a joint venture partner. It should be something that investors have always in the back of their mind. And when you run into somebody at a networking event or somebody who you think might be a good candidate because they have enough wealth to actually help take down, provide all the money you need, or at least a good chunk of it, start setting up that relationship then so you have that database of potential joint venture partners ready to go. And all you got to do is pick up the phone. Yeah. And I I think you hit a couple important points there that are worth saying again, just like you're not relying on the other partner to make the profit and that you're both active. So obviously in syndication, we have limited partners who are completely passive and they are depending on the general partnership to turn this property over, whatever it is to, you know, go through the business plan and make the return, but they don't play any kind of active role. And so that's why we have to syndicate. That's why we're syndicating. But this is such an important topic because it may not always be necessary. And that's why I'm, you know, I want the listeners to know about this as well. And it's such an important topic, but, you know, going into thinking about 
joint ventures and you know what type of documents do these partners you know what are we going to use as far as you know partners and and to set up this agreement i want to answer that but i also want to add one more thing to that last point which is your primary need does not have to be that you need money for your deal in order for a joint venture to make sense as a matter of fact and there was an article in the wall street journal that was talking about how family offices family offices being defined at least in the journal as a multi-generation, ultra-high net worth family that invests in real estate. And the article was saying how the growing trend for family offices is to be doing more joint ventures, not because they need the money. The money isn't the reason. They do it to diversify their risk, to partner with somebody who might be a good strategic partner for reasons beyond money, for if they want to find some a partner who's got expertise that they don't have, whatever. So for those listeners who are saying, well, gee, I don't really need the money. Even if you've got all the money you need, there are a lot of family offices or just you know wealthy individuals who joint venture for other reasons, which make a lot of sense. So anybody who's listening to this, you can use a joint venture to solve a lot of problems and get a lot of benefits other than just if you need money. So Having said that, to go back to your question, what kind of documents? So let's contrast the stay with the contrast for a second between syndication. And I, I wanted to say too, that document you're talking about, it'd be great if you would share that in the group. I'd love to read that. And I'm sure others that are listening would like to as well in the Facebook group. You mean you mean the actual document that we use? Oh no, the Forbes. Was it a Forbes? Oh, the article. Uh, the, the, article oh yeah, the Wall Street Journal yeah, the article. article. Yeah. I'll um yeah, I'll Wall email Street it Journal. to you after right after this, okay? Yeah, that would be great. And we'll put it in the group because I'm sure the listeners would like to listen to that in the in the Real Estate Syndication Show Facebook group. So yeah, so go ahead with the documents that those JV partners need to be thinking about. So generally and typically, if you were doing a syndication, let's say you were doing a Reg D Rule 506B accredited investor only offering in the syndication, which when I syndicate, that's all I do. Personally, that's the exemption that I use. And I do only accredited investors only. That's my preference. You could do non-accredited too, but my preference. So, but that's the simplest form of syndication. So if you do that, you're going to need a PPM, private placement memorandum, which is going to include subscription agreement and, and all the disclosures and the business description of the business, the real estate, the whatever is involved in the actual deal. You have the investor suitability questionnaire. You've got all of that. And then you've got on top of that, Form D and registration statements, all of that. Those are just the things, the typical things that you're going to have at a minimum. For a joint venture, all you need is one document and if you're like most joint ventures in the United States today, that one document is going to be LLC, operating agreement, a limited liability company. You do a limited partnership instead if you want to, but then in that case, it's going to be a limited partnership agreement. Those are the two usual ways to do a joint venture. You could also do a TIC, a tenancy in common agreement, and that's possible too for you if you want to do it. We could talk about why that is an alternative. And if you're going to do it a TIC instead, it's going to be a TIC agreement. So, but it's only one document, not all those other documents. You don't have to worry about, you can do a joint venture with a non-accredited investor. You can do a joint venture. You don't have to worry about all of the other things that I just listed before. So that's the document that's going to be either, it's one document, it's going to be one of those documents. 
a lot easier, a lot simpler. Yeah, that would be very simple or much more simple if this makes sense for the type of deal and, and how you're partnering with somebody. But there's got to be terms in this agreement, right? And how, how do we reach the best terms you know, with a partner, or with the JV partner? How do we discuss those to reach the best terms for everybody? Great question. So at the end of our time here together, I'm going to tell your listeners how they can get a much more detailed answer to that question in writing for free that I prepared. I don't want to spend, I don't, we don't have enough time for me to go through. I have an ebook called 17 Steps to a Successful Joint Venture. What I thought we should do for purposes of today is let's hit on the four or five, in my opinion, single most important terms or issues for discussion when you are putting together an agreement with your joint venture partners. So let's just focus on those. And Sounds good. So one of the first things that we talk about is what is the best business relationship for us to work together? So let's use you and me as our hypothetical prospective joint venture partnership. And let's say that my main reason for coming to you is because I need money. So yeah, we could do a joint venture where you could be bringing some or all the money and, and whatever. But if all you're doing is bringing the money, we could also have a lender-borrower relationship. We can cut a deal where we just do a private money loan, and that's how we can get the benefit of our relationship. You can get what you want, which is a return on your investment, not as much as if we were partners, theoretically, but that's one way we could work together. The other possibility is to put it together where it's an active investor versus a, and a passive investor if you really want nothing to do with it, in which case it would end up being a syndication. But it's a conversation that should take place at the front end to make sure that both parties are comfortable that doing a joint venture, which is going to be different than the other two options, is something that really makes sense for both parties. That's the first thing you guys, the people should be talking about. The next term and if you have questions about any of these, jump in because I was just yeah. I was just gonna go yeah. through and go through these in sequence. Okay. No, it's it's important to to understand our relationship in this business that we're embarking, right? I mean, we're jumping into this thing. I need to know uh, what your plan is for this partnership, and and you need to know what mine is as exactly. well, or how we're going to add the best value. Then the next question is, what is the best form of ownership for us? Let's assume that we have gotten past that first talking point. And we say, yeah, let's, let's do this. We want to do this, both be actively engaged. So we still have choices to make. One choice, which I'll mention, not because I recommend it, but because in case anybody thinks it's an option, general partnership. You could do a general partnership. I can't imagine a scenario where a general partnership would ever make sense. Because in a general partnership, if that's what you and I did, we would both be individually fully responsible for all of the liabilities of the partnership and there's not there's no asset protection there and it really ma- it makes no sense i can't remember the last time i did certainly that i did a general partnership and every general partnership i've seen in the last i don't know two decades has been limited partnership so it would be a limited partnership or a limited liability company limited partnership or limited liability company limited partnership in a joint venture doesn't really make much sense because there'd have to be a general partner and limited partners. It's an option. But again, it's difficult for me to imagine a scenario where that made the most sense. So that leaves two other options, an LLC or a TIC. 
limited liability company is the most common, most popular way for joint venture partners to do a deal together. And a TIC is, again, a 10C in common. The main reason partners end up doing a TIC, and I've done this, I'm doing this with deals I'm involved with now, and I've done this in the past, is when you, you should have a conversation at the beginning saying, okay, when we exit this and we sell, do we want to have the flexibility to be able to do a 1031 exchange and go our separate ways or stay together? No matter how strong the partnership is on day one, it's not a bad idea to do a TIC. So you do have that that ability to go your separate ways, not because there's a problem in the relationship, but for whatever reason, you may have reasons that you want to take the money now, or you might not like the next deal that I find or vice versa. So if you want maximum flexibility in a joint venture, a TIC is the way to go. In which case, again, you'll end up doing a TIC agreement instead of an LLC. So that's an important conversation to have upfront and If you don't have that conversation up front, you can still start with an LLC and do a TIC later, but it is a hassle to have to change it later. And if you are going to change it later, generally, you have to change it at least one year before you sell. Otherwise, you cannot do a 1031 exchange. So it's good to be proactive and forward thinking. And this is the time to have that conversation up front. Our guest is Edna Keep. Thanks for being on the show, Edna. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Well, what is the business plan long-term with this deal? Well, you know, we buy everything long-term buy and hold. We're specialists in that area. Love it. We, we absolutely love mortgage pay down. Right now with our portfolio, we're over 25000 a month in mortgage pay down. So that's like, that takes care of all our long-term stuff that we ever, ever need to think about. And now since we've got all that in place, we're just focusing on how we can maximize our cash flow, get our investors paid off as quickly as possible. And we really think that Airbnb, not every place is suitable. Airbnb, a lot of our units will really help with that. Nice. Okay. So, you know, as far as even your bio mentioned, you know, primarily with other people's money, can you tell me, elaborate on how you all have used investors, how you've partnered with investors? You know, in Canada, I know that like the syndication model is a little different, but how does that work in your business specifically? Well, generally, we bring our investors in as uh, joint venture partners. They're side partners. I meet with them once a year. We send them reports quarterly. We explain what's going on and give them the option to... We told them all about Airbnb in some cases. Some aren't interested. Some love the model. So we, we kind of give them a little bit of a say, not not a ton. We usually are always the, the controlling partners in that sense. But sometimes you have to let people get broken a little bit easier. But yeah, we use total joint ventures. We do a joint venture agreement. When we first started out, our joint venture partners were on title and mortgage with us. And now we're getting to the point where only usually only one or two of us have to qualify for the mortgage. So we, although they're on mortgage and title, we're the ones that were responsible for the mortgage and, and, and that sort of thing. So how did you initially start attracting investors to partner with you all? You know, I used to be a financial advisor and I, when I understood real estate, I couldn't even sell mutual funds anymore. It was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe it. There's so much more control, so much more money, love of real estate. It's so much easier to understand. I like simple things. A lot of people think that a lot of my uh, clients came with me, but you know, 
know they didn't. I must have did too good of a job selling them on uh, on mutual funds. But you know, just basically networking. We partnered up with somebody very early on who had been in the business about two years longer, and they had a bunch of houses. And they were actually already raising some capital. I was still a financial advisor when I first started, so I couldn't raise capital. So we partnered with them. That took a lot of fear out of deals that we might have been scared to do on our own. And from there, we, we just networked and people started coming to us uh, with capital. And, and we, we get people from all over Canada and U.S. that want to invest in our projects. Just get to, get to know them over the years. How do they know about you? How, how do you, I guess, start that relationship? You know, people from all over, is that through social media? Or how do you, you know, how do you blast out about yourself and what you all are doing? Well, initially it was uh, just personal contacts, but eventually, you know, email, uh, I do a lot of Facebook lives. I do a lot of podcasts like this and people just get to know us. And then uh, sometimes they follow us on Facebook. I've had people say, oh yeah, I followed you on Facebook for about two years. I know we understand your stuff. And, and then they start either, either become students or invest with us. We're actually finding right now that a lot of our students are investing with us because, you know, much like us when we started, we were scared of everything. You know, we were scared of making that wrong decision. And just having a partner that had already been doing this for two years took a lot of that fear away. So a lot of our students go, you know what, if I could be part of a deal understand it before I start raising my own capital for other deals. So so we do a lot of that as well. Makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Makes all the difference. But let's talk about that a little bit. You know, you know, you're you're coaching others, you know, you have students now that are striving to do what you're do, right? You're doing, right? You know, you know, to build their own business and real estate. And what are some of the biggest things that are holding them back, you know, fr- from making that leap into doing their own deals? You know, I think fear is the biggest thing. And when they're dealing with investor capital, one of those fears is losing other people's money. And I tell students, you know what, when you tell me you're scared of losing other people's money, I like that. I wouldn't even take you on if you were one of those people that said, oh, I'm not scared of losing other people's money, whatever. It's their money, right? That's not the attitude I want people to take. That's that's more precious than your own because they will help you grow, but you got to help them grow at the same time. So that's a big fear, getting over that. And then, you know, getting the mindset of your worth in the deal too. Like so many people think, oh, if I could just get the money, if I could just get the money. But you know, there's lots of money out there. You're the one with the gold. And and if you can get that mindset, that's going to make all the difference for you. And you know, there, you know yourself, Whitney, there's a ton of people out there looking for a place to invest in real estate. They don't understand it. They don't know where to start. So they, they want somebody who knows what they're doing. A lot of times they don't have time to do it themselves. So that's where we come in and we can help. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.